0: CD 2 She arrived back at the cottage in the pale shank of the night. Her body, at least, was rested after its slumber in the hay, and Granny had hoped to spend a few hours in the rocking chair, putting her thoughts in order. This was the time when night wasn't quite over, but day hadn't quite begun, when thoughts stood out bright and clear and without disguise. She... The staff was leaning against the wall by the dresser. Granny stood quite still. I see, she said at last. So that's the way of it, is it? In my own house, too. Moving very slowly, she walked over to the ingle nook, threw a couple of split logs onto the embers of the fire and pumped the bellows until the flames roared up the chimney. When she was satisfied, she turned muttered a few precautionary protective spells under her breath and grabbed the staff. It didn't resist. She nearly fell over. But now she had it in her hands, and she felt the tingle of it, the distinctive thunderstorm crackle of the magic in it, and she laughed. It was as simple as this then. There was no fight in it now. "'Calling down a curse upon wizards and all their works, "'she raised the staff above her head "'and brought it down with a clang across the fire-dogs "'over the hottest part of the fire. Esk screamed. "'The sound bounced down through the bedroom floorboards "'and scythed through the dark cottage. "'Granny was old and tired "'and not entirely clear about things after a long day, "'but to survive as a witch "'requires an ability to jump to very large conclusions.' and as she stared at the staff in the flames and heard the scream, her hands were already reaching for the big black kettle. She upended it over the fire, dragged the staff out of the cloud of steam and ran upstairs, dreading what she might see. Esk was sitting up in the narrow bed, unsinged but shrieking. Granny took the child in her arms and tried to comfort her. She wasn't sure how one went about it, but a distracted patting on the back and vague reassuring noises seemed to work and the screams became wails and eventually sobs. Here and there, Granny could pick out words like fire and hot and her mouth set in a thin, bitter line. Finally, she settled the child down, tucked her in and crept quietly down the stairs. The staff was back against the wall. She was not surprised to see the fire hadn't marked it at all. Granny turned her rocking chair to face it and sat down with her chin in her hand and an expression of grim determination. Presently, the chair was the only sound in a silence that thickened and spread and filled the room like a terrible dark fog. Next morning, before Esk got up, Granny hid the staff in the thatch, well out of harm's way. Esk ate her breakfast and drank a pint of goat's milk, without the least sign of the events of the last 24 hours. It was the first time she had been inside Granny's cottage for more than a brief visit, and while the old woman washed the dishes and milked the goats, she made the most of her implied licence to explore she found that life in the cottage wasn't entirely straightforward. There was the matter of the goat's names, for example. But they've got to have names, she said. Everything's got a name. Granny looked at her around the pear-shaped flanks of the head nanny, while the milk squirted into the low pail. I dare say they've got names in goat, she said vaguely. What do they want names in human for? Well said Esk, and stopped. She thought for a bit. How do you make them do what you want, then? They just do, and when they want me, they holler. Esk gravely gave the head goat a wisp of hay. Granny watched her thoughtfully. Goats did have names for themselves, she well knew. There was Goat Who Is My Kid, Goat Who Is My Mother, Goat Who Is Herd Leader, and half a dozen other names, not least of which was Goat, who is this goat? They had a complicated herd system and four stomachs and a digestive system that sounded very busy on still nights. And Granny had always felt that calling all this names like buttercup was an insult to a noble animal. Esk, she said, making up her mind. Yes? What would you like to be when you grow up? Esk looked blank. Don't know. Well, said Granny, her hand still milking. What do you think you will do when you're grown up? Don't know. Get married, I suppose. Do you want to? Esk's lips started to shape themselves around the D, but she caught Granny's eye and stopped and thought, All the grown-ups I know are married, she said at last, and thought some more. Except you, she added cautiously. That's true, said Granny. Didn't you want to get married? It was Granny's turn to think. Never got around to it, she said at last. Too many other things to do, you see. Father says you're a witch, said Esk, chancing her arm. I am that. Esk nodded. In the Ramtops, witches were accorded a status similar to that which other cultures gave to nuns, or tax collectors, or cesspit cleaners. That is to say, they were respected, sometimes admired, generally applauded for doing a job which logically had to be done, but people never felt quite comfortable in the same room with them. Granny said, Would you like to learn the witching? Magic, you mean? Asked Esk, her eyes lighting up Yes, magic But not firework magic Real magic Can you fly? There's better things than flying And I can learn them If your parents say yes Esk sighed (sighs) My father won't Then I shall have a word with him Said Granny ''Now you listen to me, Gordo Smith.'' Smith backed away across his forge, hands half raised to ward off the old woman's fury. She advanced on him, one finger stabbing the air righteously. ''I brought you into the world, you stupid man, and you've got no more sense in you now than you had then.'' ''But,'' Smith tried, dodging around the anvil. ''The magic's found her, wizard magic. Wrong magic, do you understand?'' It was never intended for her. Yes, but... Have you any idea of what it can do? Smith sagged. No. Granny paused and deflated a little. No, she repeated more softly. No, you wouldn't. She sat down on the anvil and tried to think calm thoughts. Look, magic has a sort of... "'Life of its own. "'That doesn't matter, because... "'Anyway, you see, wizard magic... "'She looked up at his big, blank expression and tried again. "'Well, you know cider?' "'Smith nodded. "'He felt he was on firmer ground here, "'but he wasn't certain of where it was going to lead. "'And then there's the liquor, applejack,' said the witch. "'The Smith nodded. "'Everyone in badass made applejack in the winter.' by leaving cider tubs outside overnight and taking out the ice until a tiny core of alcohol was left. Well, you can drink lots of cider, and you just feel better, and that's it, isn't it? The Smith nodded again. But Applejack, you drink that in little mugs, and you don't drink a lot, and you don't drink it often, because it goes right to your head. The Smith nodded again, and, aware that he wasn't making a major contribution to the dialogue, added... That's right. That's the difference, said Granny. The difference from what? Granny sighed. (sighs) The difference between witch magic and wizard magic, she said. And it's found her, and if she doesn't control it, then there are those who will control her. Magic can be a sort of door, and there are unpleasant things on the other side. Do you understand? The Smith nodded. He didn't really understand, but he correctly surmised that if he revealed this fact, Granny would start going into horrible details. She's strong in her mind, and it might take a while, said Granny. But sooner or later, they'll challenge her. Smith picked up a hammer from his bench, looked at it as though he'd never seen it before, and put it down again. But, he said, if it's wizard magic she's got, learning witchery won't be any good, will it? You said they're different. They're both magic. If you can't learn to ride an elephant, you can at least learn to ride a horse. What's an elephant? A kind of badger, said Granny. She hadn't maintained forest credibility for 40 years by ever admitting ignorance. The blacksmith sighed. He knew he was beaten. His wife had made it clear that she favoured the idea, and now that he came to think about it, there were some advantages. After all, Granny wouldn't last forever, and being father to the area's only witch might not be too bad at that. All right, he said. And so, as the winter turned and started the long, reluctant climb towards spring, Esk spent days at a time with Granny Weatherwax, learning witchcraft it seemed to consist mainly of things to remember. The lessons were quite practical. There was cleaning the kitchen table and basic herbalism. There was mucking out the goats and the use of fungi. There was doing the washing and the summoning of the small gods. And there was always tending the big copper still in the scullery and the theory and practice of distillation. By the time the warm rim winds were blowing and the snow remained only as little streaks of slush on the hubside of trees, Esk knew how to prepare a range of ointments, several medicinal brandies, a score of special infusions, and a number of mysterious potions that Granny said she might learn the use of in good time. What she hadn't done was any magic at all. "'All in good time,' repeated Granny vaguely. "'But I'm supposed to be a witch.' You're not a witch yet. Name me three herbs good for the bowels. Esk put her hands behind her back, closed her eyes, and said, The flowering tops of greater peahane, the root pith of old man's trousers, the stems of blood water lily, the seed cases of- All right, where may water gherkins be found? Peat bogs and stagnant pools from the months of- Good, you're learning. But it's not magic. Granny sat down at the kitchen table. Most magic isn't, she said. It's just knowing the right herbs and learning to watch the weather and finding out the ways of animals and the ways of people, too. That's all it is, said Esk, horrified. All? It's a pretty big all, said Granny. But no, it isn't all. There's other stuff. Can't you teach me? All in good time. There's no call to go showing yourself yet. Showing myself? Who too? Granny's eyes darted towards the shadows in the corners of the room. Never you mind. Then even the last lingering tales of snow had gone, and the spring gales roared around the mountains. The air in the forest began to smell of leaf mold and turpentine. A few early flowers braved the night frosts, and the bees started to fly. Now bees, said Granny Weatherwax, is real magic. She carefully lifted the lid of the first hive. Your bees, she went on, is your mead, your wax, your bee gum, your honey. A wonderful thing is your bee, ruled by a queen too, she added with a touch of approval do they sting you, said Esk, standing back a little. Bees boiled out of the comb and overflowed the rough wooden sides of the box. Hardly ever, said Granny. You wanted magic? Watch. She put her hand into the struggling mass of insects and made a shrill, faint piping noise at the back of her throat. There was a movement in the mass, and a large bee... Longer and fatter than the others, crawled onto her hand A few workers followed it, stroking it and generally ministering to it How did you do that? said Esk Ah, said Granny, wouldn't you like to know? Yes, I would, that's why I asked, Granny, said Esk severely Do you think I used magic? Esk looked down at the queen bee, she looked up at the witch. No, she said, I think you just know a lot about bees. Granny grinned, exactly correct, that's one form of magic, of course. What, just knowing things? Knowing things that other people don't know, said Granny. She carefully dropped the queen back among her subjects and closed the lid of the hive. And I think it's time you learned a few secrets, she added. At last, thought Esk. But first, we must pay our respects to the hive, said Granny. She managed to sound the capital H. Without thinking, Esk bobbed a curtsy. Granny's hand clipped the back of her head. Bow, I told you, she said without rancor. Witches bow, she demonstrated. But why, complained Esk. Because witches have got to be different and that's part of the secret, said Granny. They sat on a bleached bench in front of the rimwood wall of the cottage. In front of them, the herbs were already a foot high, a sinister collection of pale green leaves. Right, said Granny, settling herself down. You know the hat in the hall by the door? and fetch it. Esk obediently went inside and unhooked Granny's hat. It was tall, pointed, and of course black. Granny turned it over in her hands and regarded it carefully. Inside this hat, she said solemnly, is one of the secrets of witchcraft. If you cannot tell me what it is, then I might as well teach you no more. Because once you learn the secret of the hat, There is no going back. Tell me what you know about the hat. Can I hold it? Be my guest. Esk peered inside the hat. There was some wire stiffening to give it a shape and a couple of hat pins, that was all. There was nothing particularly strange about it, except that no one in the village had one like it. But that didn't make it magical. Esk bit her lip. She had a vision of herself being sent home in disgrace. It didn't feel strange, and there were no hidden pockets. It was just a typical witch's hat. Granny always wore it when she went into the village, but in the forest she just wore a leather hood. She tried to recall the bits of lessons that Granny grudgingly doled out. It isn't what you know, it's what other people don't know. Magic can be something right in the wrong place or something wrong in the right place. It can be... Granny always wore it to the village. And the big black cloak, which certainly wasn't magical, because for the most of the winter it had been a goat blanket, and Granny washed it in the spring. Esk began to feel the shape of the answer, and she didn't like it much. It was like a lot of Granny's answers, just a word trick. She just said things you knew all the time but in a different way, so they sounded important. I think I know, she said at last. Out with it, then. It's in sort of two parts. Well? It's a witch's hat because you wear it, but you're a witch because you wear the hat. Um... So, prompted Granny, so... People see you coming in the hat, and the cloak, and they know you're a witch, and that's why your magic works, said Esk. That's right, said Granny. It's called headology. She tapped her silver hair, which was drawn into a tight bun that crack rocks. But it's not real, Esk protested. It's not magic, it's- it's- Listen, said Granny. If you give someone a bottle of red jollop for their wind, it may work, right? But if you want it to work for sure, then you let their mind make it work for them. Tell them it's moonbeams bottled in fairy wine or something, mumble over it a bit. It's the same with cursing. Cursing, said Esk weakly. Aye, cursing, my girl, and no need to look so shocked. You'll curse when the need comes, when you're alone and there's no help to hand and- She hesitated, and uncomfortably aware of Esk's questioning eyes, finished lamely. And people aren't showing respect? Make it loud, make it complicated, make it long, and make it up if you have to, but it'll work all right. Next day when they hit their thumb or they fall off a ladder or their dog drops dead, they'll remember you, they'll behave better next time. It still doesn't seem like magic, said Esk, scuffing the dust with her feet. I saved a man's life once, said Granny. Special medicine twice a day, boiled water with a bit of berry juice in it. Told him I'd bought it from the dwarves. That's the biggest part of doctrine, really. Most people get over most things if they put their mind to it. You just have to give them an interest. She patted Esk's hand as nicely as possible. You're a bit young for this, she said. But as you grow older, you'll find most people don't set foot outside their own heads much. You too, she added, nomically. I don't understand. I'd be very surprised if you did, said Granny briskly. But you can tell me five herbs suitable for dry coughs. Spring began to unfold in earnest. Granny started taking Esk on long walks that took all day. Hidden ponds or high onto the mountain scree to collect rare plants. Esk enjoyed that, high on the hills where the sun beat down strongly, but the air was nevertheless freezing cold. Plants grew thickly and hugged the ground. From some of the highest peaks she could see all the way to the rim ocean that ran around the edge of the world. In the other direction, the ram tops marched into the distance, wrapped in eternal winter. They went all the way to the hub of the world, where, it was generally agreed, the gods lived on a ten-mile-high mountain of rock and ice. Gods are all right, said Granny, as they ate their lunch and looked at the view. Don't bother gods. Gods don't come bothering you. Do you know many gods? I've seen the Thunder Gods a few times, said Granny, and hockey, of course. Hockey? Granny chewed a crustless sandwich. Oh, he's a nature gob, she said. Sometimes he manifests himself as an oak tree, or half a man and half a goat, but mainly I see him in his aspect as a bloody nuisance. You only find him in the deep woods, of course. He plays the flute, very badly, if you must know. Esk lay on her stomach, and looked out across the lands below, while a few hardy, self-employed bumblebees patrolled the thyme clusters. The sun was warm on her back, but up here there were still drifts of snow on the hubside of rocks. Tell me about the lands down there, she said lazily. Granny peered disapprovingly at 10,000 miles of landscape. They're just other places, she said. Just like here, only different. Are there cities and things? I dare say. Haven't you ever been to look? Granny sat back, gingerly arranging her skirt to expose several inches of respectable flannelette to the sun and let the heat caress her old bones. No, she said. There's quite enough troubles around here without going looking for them in fawn parts. I dreamed of a city once, said Esk. It had hundreds of people in it, and there was this building with big gates, and they were magical gates. A sound like tearing cloth came from behind her. Granny had fallen asleep. Granny? Esk thought for a moment. Are you having a good time? She said artfully. You said you'd show me some real magic All in good time, said Esk And this is a good time Granny Weatherwax opened her eyes and looked straight up at the sky It was darker up here, more purple than blue She thought, why not? She's a quick learner She knows more herb lore than I do At her age, old Gamma Tumult had me borrowing and shifting and sending all hours of the day. Maybe I'm being too cautious. Just a bit? Pleaded Esk. Granny turned it over in her mind. She couldn't think of any more excuses. I'm surely going to regret this, she told herself, displaying considerable foresight. All right, she said shortly. Real magic? said Esk. No more herbs or hedology. Real magic, as you call it, yes. A spell? No, a borrowing. Esk's face was a picture of expectation. She looked more alive, it seemed to Granny, than she had ever been before. Granny looked over the valleys stretching out before them until she found what she was after. A grey eagle was circling lazily over a distant blue-hazed patch of forest. Its mind was currently at ease. It would do nicely. She called it gently, and it began to circle towards them. The first thing to remember about borrowing is that you must be comfortable and somewhere safe, she said, smoothing out the grass behind her. Bed is best. But what is borrowing? Lie down and hold my hand. Do you see the eagle up there? Esk squinted into the dark, hot sky. There were two doll-like figures on the grass below as she pivoted on the winged. She could feel the whip and wire of the air through her feathers, because the eagle was not hunting, but simply enjoying the feel of the sun on its wings. The land below was a mere, unimportant shape. But the air... The air was a complex, changing, three-dimensional thing. An interlocked pattern of spirals and curves that stretched away into the distance. A switchback of currents built around thermal pillars. She, she felt a gentle pressure restraining her. The next thing to remember, said Granny's voice very close is not to upset the owner. If you let know you're there, it'll either fight you or panic, and you won't stand a chance either way. It's had a lifetime of being an eagle, and you haven't. Esk said nothing. You're not frightened, are you? said Granny. It can take you that way first time, and I'm not frightened, said Esk, and how do I control it? You don't. Not yet, anyway. Controlling a truly wild creature isn't easily learned. You have to sort of suggest to it that it might feel inclined to do things. With a tame animal, of course, it's all different. But you can't make a creature do anything that is totally against its nature. Now, try to find the eagle's mind. S could sense Granny as a diffuse silver cloud at the back of her own mind. After some searching, she found the eagle. She almost missed it. Its mind was small, sharp, and purple like an arrowhead. It was concentrating entirely on flying and took no notice of her. "'Good,' said Granny approvingly. "'We're not going to go far. "'If you want to make it turn, you must—' "'Yes, yes,' said Esk. She flexed her fingers wherever they were, and the bird leant against the air and turned.' Very good, said Granny, taken aback. How did you do that? I don't know. It just seemed obvious. Hmm. Granny gently tested the tiny eagle mind. It was still totally oblivious of its passengers. She was genuinely impressed. A very rare occurrence. They floated over the mountain while Esk excitedly explored the eagle's senses. Granny's voice droned through her consciousness, giving instructions and guidance and warnings. She listened with half an ear. It sounded far too complicated. Why couldn't she take over the eagle's mind? It wouldn't hurt it. She could see how to do it. It was just a knack, like snapping your fingers, which, in fact, she had never managed to achieve. And then she'd be able to experience flying for real, not at second hand. Then she could... Don't, said Granny calmly. No good will come of it. Do you really think you're the first, my girl? Do you think we haven't all thought what a fine thing it would be to take on another body and tread the wind or breathe the water? And do you really think it would be as easy as that? Esk glowered at her. No need to look like that, said Granny. You'll thank me one day. Don't you start playing around before you know what you're about, eh? Before you get up to trick's. You've got to learn what to do if things go wrong. Don't try to walk before you can run. I can feel how to do it, Granny. That's as may be. It's harder than it seems, is borrowing. Although I'll grant you've got a knack. That's enough for today. Bring us in over ourselves and I'll show you how to return. The eagle beat the air over two recumbent forms. and esk saw in her mind's eye. Two channels open for them. Granny's mind shape vanished. Now! Granny had been wrong. The eagle mind barely fought and didn't have time to panic. Esk held it, wrapped in her own mind. It writhed for an instant and then melted into her. Granny opened her eyes in time to see the bird give a hoarse cry of triumph curve down low over the grass-grown scree and skim away down the mountainside. For a moment, it was a vanishing dot, and then it had gone, leaving only another echoing shriek. Granny looked down at Esk's silent form. The girl was light enough, but it was a long way home, and the afternoon was dwindling. Drat, she said with no particular emphasis. She stood up, brushed herself down and with a grunt of effort hauled Esk's inert body over her shoulder. High in the crystal sunset air above the mountains the Eagle Esk sought more height drunk with the sheer vitality of flight. On the way home Granny met a hungry bear. Granny's back was giving her jip and she was in no mood to be growled at. She muttered a few words under her breath and the bear, to its brief amazement, walked heavily into a tree and didn't regain consciousness for several hours. When she reached the cottage, Granny put Esk's body to bed and drew up the fire. She brought the goats in and milked them and finished the chores of the evening. She made sure all the windows were open, and when it began to grow dark, lit a lantern and put it on the windowsill. Granny Weatherwax didn't sleep for more than a few hours a night as a rule, "'and woke again at midnight. "'The room hadn't changed, "'although the lantern had its own little solar system "'of very stupid moths. "'When she woke again at dawn, "'the candle had long burned down, "'and Esk was still sleeping "'the shallow, unwakeable sleep of the borrower. "'When she took the goats out to their paddock, "'she looked intently at the sky. "'Noon came, "'and gradually the light drained out of another day.' she paced the floor of the kitchen aimlessly. Occasionally she would throw herself into frantic bouts of housework. Ancient crusts were unceremoniously dug out of the cracks in the flagstones, and the fireback was scraped free of the winter soot and black-leaded to within an inch of its life. A nest of mice in the back of the dresser were kindly but firmly ejected into the goat's shed. Sunset came. The light of the disk world was old and slow and heavy. From the cottage door, Granny watched as it drained off the mountains, flowing in golden rivers through the forest. Here and there, it pooled in hollows until it faded and vanished. She drummed her fingers sharply on the doorpost, humming a small and bitter little tune. Dawn came, and the cottage was empty except for Esk's body, silent and unmoving on the bed. But as the golden light flowed slowly across the disk world like the first freshing of the tide over mudflats, the eagle circled higher into the dome of heaven, beating the air down with slow and powerful wing beats. The whole of the world was spread out beneath Esk, all the continents, all the islands, all the rivers, and especially the great ring of the rim ocean. There was nothing else up here, not even a sound gloried in the feel of it, willing her flagging muscles into greater effort. But something was wrong. Her thoughts seemed to be chasing around beyond her control and disappearing. Pain and exhilaration and weariness poured into her mind, but it was as if other things were spilling out at the same time. Memories dwindled away into the wind. As fast as she could latch to a thought, it evaporated. "'leaving nothing behind. "'She was losing chunks of herself, "'and she couldn't remember what she was losing. "'She panicked, burrowing back into the things she was sure of. "'I am esque, and I have stolen the body of an eagle, "'and the feel of wind in feathers, "'the hunger, the search for not sky below. "'She tried again. "'I am esque, and seeking the wind path, "'the pain of muscle, the cut of the air, the cold of it, I am esque, high over air-damp, wet, white. Above everything, the sky is thin. I am... I am... Granny was in the garden, among the beehives. The early morning wind whipped at her skirts. She went from hive to hive, tapping on the roofs. Then, in the thickets of borage and bee balm that she had planted around them, she stood with her arms outstretched in front of her, and sang something in tones so high that no normal person could have heard them. But a roar went up from the hives, and then the air was suddenly thick with a heavy, big-eyed, deep-voiced shape of drone bees. They circled over her head, adding their own bass humming to her chant. Then they were gone, soaring into the growing light over the clearing and streaming away over the trees it is well known at least it is well known to witches that all colonies of bees are as it were just one part of the creature called the swarm in the same way that individual bees are component cells of the hive mind granny didn't mingle her thoughts with the bees very often partly because insect minds were strange alien things that tasted of tin mostly because she suspected that the swarm was a good deal more intelligent than she was. She knew that the drones would soon reach the wild bee colonies of the deep forest, and within hours every corner of the mountain meadows would be under very close scrutiny indeed. All she could do was wait. At noon, the drones returned, and Granny read in the sharp, acid thoughts of the hive mind, that there was no sign of Esk. She went back into the cool of the cottage and sat down in the rocking chair, staring at the doorway. She knew what the next step was. She hated the very idea of it. But she fetched a short ladder, climbed up creakily onto the roof, and pulled the staff from its hiding place in the thatch. It was icy cold. It steamed. Above the snow line, then, said Granny. She climbed down and rammed the staff into a flower bed. She glared at it. She had a nasty feeling that it was glaring back. Don't think you've won because you haven't, she snapped. It's just that I haven't got time to mess around. You must know where she is. I command you to take me to her. The staff regarded her woodenly. Bye. Granny paused. Her invocations were a little rusty. By stock and stone, I order it. Activity, movement, liveliness, all these words would be completely inaccurate descriptions of the staff's response. Granny scratched her chin. She remembered the little lesson all children get taught. What's the magic word? Please, she suggested. The staff trembled, rose a little way out of the ground, and turned in the air so that it hung, invitingly, at waist height. Granny had heard that broomsticks were once again very much the fashion among younger witches, but she didn't hold with it. There was no way a body could look respectable while hurtling through the air aboard a household implement, besides it looked decidedly draughty. But this was no time for respectability. Pausing only to snatch her hat from its hook behind the door, She scrambled up onto the staff and perched as best she could, side-saddle, of course, and with her skirts firmly gripped between her knees. Right, she said. Now... Across the forest, animals broke and scattered as the shadow passed overhead, crying and cursing. Granny clung on with whitened knuckles, her thin legs kicking wildly, As high above the treetops, she learned important lessons about centres of gravity and air turbulence. The staff shot onwards, heedless of her yells. By the time it had come out over the upland meadows, she had come to terms with it somewhat, which meant that she could just about hang on with knees and hands, provided she didn't mind being upside down. Her hat at least was useful, being aerodynamically shaped. The staff plunged between black cliffs and along high, bare valleys where, it was said, rivers of ice had once flowed in the days of the ice giants. The air became thin and sharp in the throat. They came to an abrupt halt over a snowdrift. Granny fell off and lay panting in the snow while she tried to remember why she was going through all this. There was a bundle of feathers under an overhang a few feet away. As Granny approached it, the head rose jerkily, and the eagle glared at her with fierce, frightened eyes. It tried to fly and toppled over. When she reached out to touch it, it took a neat triangle of flesh out of her hand. I see, said Granny quietly to no one in particular. She looked around and found a boulder of about the right size. She disappeared behind it for a few seconds, for the sake of respectability, and reappeared with a petticoat in her hand. The bird thrashed around, ruining several weeks of meticulous point embroidery, but she managed to bundle it up and hold it so that she could avoid its sporadic lunges. Granny turned to the staff, which was now upright in the snowdrift. I shall walk back, she told it coldly. It turned out, that they were in a spur valley overlooking a drop of several hundred feet onto sharp, black rocks. Very well, then, she conceded. But you're to fly slowly, do you understand, and no going high. In fact, because she was slightly more experienced, and perhaps because the staff was taking more care, too, the ride back was almost sedate. Granny was almost persuaded that given time... She could come to merely dislike flying, instead of loathing it. What it needed was some way of stopping yourself from having to look at the ground. The eagle sprawled on the rag rug in front of the empty hearth. It had drunk some water, over which Granny had mumbled a few of the charms she normally said to impress patients, but you never knew there might be some power in them. And it had also gulped a few strips of raw meat. What it had not done was display the least sign of intelligence. She wondered whether she had the right bird. She risked another pecking and stared hard into its evil orange eyes and tried to convince herself that way down in their depths, almost beyond sight, was a strange little flicker. She probed around inside its head. The eagle mind was still there right enough, vivid and sharp but there was something else. Mind, of course, has no colour, but nevertheless the strands of the eagle's mind seemed to be purple. Around them and tangled among them were faint strands of silver. Esk had learned too late that mind shapes body, that borrowing is one thing, but that the dream of truly taking on another form has its built-in penalty. Granny sat and rocked. She was at a loss, she knew that, Unravelling the tangled minds was beyond her power, beyond any power in the ramp-tops, beyond even... There was no sound, but maybe there was a change in the texture of the air. She looked up at the staff, which had been suffered to come back into the cottage. ''No,'' she said firmly. Then she thought, ''Whose benefit did I say that for?'' ''Mine?'' ''There's power there, but it's not my kind of power.'' There isn't any other kind around, though, and even now I may be too late. I might never even have been early enough. She reached out again, into the bird's head to calm its fears and dispel its panic. It allowed her to pick it up and sat awkwardly on her wrist, its talons gripping tight enough to draw blood. Granny took the staff and made her way upstairs to where Esk lay on the narrow bed in the low bedroom with its ancient contoured ceiling. She made the bird "'perch on the bed-rail and turn her attention to the staff. "'Once more the carvings shifted under her glare, "'never quite revealing their true form. "'Granny was no stranger to the uses of power, "'but she knew she relied on gentle pressure, "'subtly, to steer the tide of things. "'She didn't put it like that, of course. "'She would have said that there was always a lever "'if you knew where to look. "'The power in the staff was harsh, fierce.' the raw stuff of magic, distilled out of the forces that powered the universe itself. There would be a price, and Granny knew enough about wizardry to be certain that it would be a high one. But if you were worried about the price, then why were you in the shop? She cleared her throat and wondered what the hell she was supposed to do next. Perhaps if she... The power hit her like a half-brick. She could feel it take her and lift her, so that she was amazed to look down and see her feet still firmly on the floorboards. She tried to take a step forward, and magical discharges crackled in the air around her. She reached out to steady herself against the wall, and the ancient wooden beam under her hand stirred and started to sprout leaves. A cyclone of magic swirled around the room, picking up dust and briefly giving it some very disturbing shapes. The jug and basin on the washstand, with a particularly fetching rosebud pattern, broke into fragments. Under the bed, the third member of the traditional China trio turned into something horrible, slunk away. Granny opened her mouth to swear and thought better of it when her words blossomed out into rainbow-edged clouds. She looked down at Esk and the eagle, which seemed oblivious to all this, and tried to concentrate. She let herself slide inside its head, and again she could see the strands of mind. The silver threads bound so closely around the purple that they took on the same shape but now she could see where the strands ended and where a judicious tug or push would begin to unravel them it was so obvious that she heard herself laugh and the sound curved away in shades of orange and red and vanished into the ceiling time passed even with the power throbbing through her head It was a painfully hard task, like threading a needle by moonlight, but eventually she had a handful of silver. In the slow, heavy world in which she now appeared to be, she took the hank and threw it slowly towards Esk. It became a cloud, swirled like a whirlpool, and vanished. She was aware of a shrill, chittering noise and shadows on the edge of sight, Well, it happened to everyone sooner or later. They had come, drawn as always by a discharge of magic. You just had to learn to ignore them. Granny woke with bright sunlight skewering into her eyes. She was slumped against the door, and her whole body felt as though it had toothache. She reached out blindly with one hand, found the edge of the washstand, and pulled herself into a sitting position. She was not really surprised to see that the jargon basin looked just the same as they had always done. In fact, sheer curiosity overcame her aches and she gave a quick glance under the bed to check that, yes, things were as normal. The eagle was hunched on the bedpost. In the bed, Esk was asleep and Granny saw that it was a true sleep and not the stillness of a vacant body. All she had to do now was hope that Esk wouldn't wake up with an irresistible urge to pounce on rabbits. She carried the unresisting bird downstairs and let it free outside the back door. It flew heavily up into the nearest tree where it settled to rest. It had a feeling it ought to have a grudge against somebody, but for the life of it it couldn't remember why. Esk opened her eyes and stared for a long time at the ceiling. Over the months... She had grown familiar with every lump and crack of the plaster, which created a fantastic upside-down landscape which she had peopled with a private and complex civilization. Her mind thronged with dreams. She pulled an arm out from under the sheet and stared at it, wondering why it wasn't covered with feathers. It was all very puzzling. She pushed the covers back, swung her legs onto the edge of the bed, spread her wings into the rush of the wind and glided out into the world. The thump on the bedroom floor brought Granny scurrying up the stairs to take her in her arms and hold her tight as the terror hit her. She rocked back and forth on her heels, making meaningless soothing noises. Esk looked up at her through a mask of horror. I could feel myself vanishing! Yes, yes, better now, murmured Granny. You don't understand. I couldn't even remember my name. Esk shrieked. But you can remember now. Esk hesitated, checking. Yes, she said. Yes, of course, now. So, no harm done. But, Granny sighed. (sighs) You have learned something, she said, and thought it safe to insert a touch of sternness into her voice. They say a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, but it is not one half so bad as a lot of ignorance. But what happened? You thought that borrowing wasn't enough. You thought it would be a fine thing to steal another's body, but you must know that a body is like like a jelly mould. It sets a shape on its contents, do you see? You can't have a girl's mind in an eagle's body. Not for long, at any rate. I became an eagle. Yes. Not me at all. Granny thought for a while. She always had to pause when conversations with Esk led her beyond the reaches of a decent person's vocabulary. No, She said at last, not in the way you mean. Just an eagle with maybe some strange dreams sometimes. Like when you dream you're flying, perhaps it would remember walking and talking. (sighs) But it's all over now, said Granny, treating her to a thin smile. You're your true self again, and the eagle has got its mind back. It's sitting in the big beach by the privy. I should like you to put out some food for it. Esk sat back on her heels, staring at a point past Granny's head. There were some strange things, she said conversationally. Granny spun round. I meant, in a sort of dream I saw things, said Esk. The old woman's shock was so visible that she hesitated, frightened that she had said something wrong. What kind of things, said Granny flatly. Sort of big creatures, all sorts of shapes, just sitting around. Was it dark? I mean, these things, were they in the dark? There were stars, I think. Granny? Granny Weatherwax was staring at the wall. Granny? Esk repeated. Hm, Yes? Oh. Granny shook herself. Yes, I see. Now, I would like you to go downstairs and get the bacon that is in the pantry and put it out for the bird. Do you understand? It would be a good idea to thank it, too. You never know. When Esk returned, Granny was buttering bread. She pulled her stool up to the table, but the old woman waved the bread knife at her. First things first. Stand up, face me. Esk did so, puzzled. Granny stuck the knife in the breadboard and shook her head. Grat it, she said to the world at large. I don't know what way they have of it. There should be some kind of ceremony if I know wizards. They always have to complicate things. What do you mean? Granny seemed to ignore her, but crossed to the dark corner by the dresser. Probably you should have one foot in a bucket of cold porridge and one glove on and all that kind of stuff, she went on. I didn't want to do this, but they're forcing my hand. What are you talking about, Granny? The old witch yanked the staff out of its shadow and waved it vaguely at desk. Here, it's yours. Take it. I just hope this is the right thing to do. In fact, the presentation of a staff to an apprentice wizard is usually a very impressive ceremony, especially if the staff has been inherited from an elder mage. By ancient law, there is a long and frightening ordeal involving masks and hoods and swords and fearful oaths about people's tongues being cut out and their entrails torn by wild birds and their ashes scattered to the eight winds and so on. After some hours of this sort of thing, the apprentice can be admitted to the brotherhood of the wise and enlightened. There is also a long speech. By sheer coincidence, Granny got the essence of it in a nutshell. Esk took the staff and peered at it. It's very nice, she said uncertainly. The carvings are pretty. What's it for? Sit down now. And listen properly for once on the day you were born and that's the shape of it Esk looked hard at the staff then at granny I've got to be a wizard yes no I don't know that isn't really an answer granny Esk said reproachfully Am I or amt I? Women can't be wizards, said Granny bluntly. It's a gin nature. You might as well have a female blacksmith. Actually, I've watched Dad at work and I don't see why. What... Look, said Granny hurriedly, you can't have a female wizard any more than you can have a male witch. Because I've heard of male witches, said Esk meekly. Warlocks. I think so. I mean, there's no male witches, only silly men, said Granny hotly. If men were witches, they'd be wizards. It's all down to headology, how your mind works. Men's mind work differently from ours, see? Their magic's all numbers and angles and edges and what the stars are doing, as if that really mattered. It's all power, it's all... Granny paused and dredged up her favourite word to describe all she despised in wizardry. Geometry. That's all right then, said Esk relieved. I'll stay here and learn witchery. Ah, said Granny gloomily, that's all very well for you to say I don't think it will be as easy as that But you said that men can be wizards and women can be witches And it can't be the other way around That's right Well then, said Esk triumphantly, it's all solved, isn't it? I can't help but be a witch Granny pointed to the staff Esk shrugged. It's just an old stick. Granny shook her head. Esk blinked. No? No. And I can't be a witch? I don't know what you can be. Hold the staff. What? Hold the staff. Now, I've laid the fire in the grate. Light it. The tinder boxes Esk began. You once told me there were better ways of lighting fires, show me. Granny stood up, in the dimness of the kitchen. She seemed to grow until she filled it with shifting ragged shadows. Shocked with menace, her eyes glared down at Esk. Show me, she commanded and her voice had ice in it. (laughs) But, said Esk desperately clutching the heavy staff to her and knocking her stool over in her haste to back away. Show me! With a scream, Esk spun around. The fire flared from her fingertips and arced across the room. The kindling exploded with a force that hurled the furniture around the room and a ball of fierce green light splattered on the hearth changing patterns, sped across it as it spun sizzling on the stones, which cracked and then flowed. The iron fireback resisted bravely for a few seconds before melting like wax. It made a final appearance as a red smear across the fireball and then vanished. A moment later, the kettle went the same way. Just when it seemed that the chimney would follow them, the ancient hearthstone gave up, and with a final splutter, the fireball sank from view. The occasional crackle or puff of steam signalled its passage through the earth. Apart from that, there was silence. A loud, hissing silence that comes after an ear splattering noise, and after the actinic glare, the room seemed pitch dark. Eventually, Granny crawled out from behind the table and crept as closely as she dared to the hole which was still surrounded by a crust of lava. She jerked back as another cloud of superheated steam mushroomed up. They say there's dwarf mines under the ram tops, she said inconsequentially. My, but them little buggers is in for a surprise. She prodded the little puddle of cooling iron where the kettle had been and added, Shame about the fireback. It had owls on it, you know. She patted her singed hair gingerly with a shaking hand. I think this calls for a nice cup of. a nice cup of cold water. Esk sat looking in wonder at her hand. That was real magic, she said at last, and I did it. One type of real magic, corrected Granny. Don't forget that. And you don't want to do that all the time, neither. If it's in you, you've got to learn to control it. Can you teach me? Me? No. How can I learn if no one will teach me? You've got to go to where they can, wizard school. But you said... Granny paused in the act of filling a jug from the water bucket. Yes, yes. She snapped, never mind what I said, or common sense, or anything. Sometimes you just have to go the way things take you, and I reckon you're going to wizard school one way or the other. Esk considered this. You mean, it's my destiny, she said at last. Granny shrugged. Something like that, probably. Who knows? That night, long after Esk had been sent to bed, Granny put on her hat, lit a fresh candle, cleared the table, and pulled a small wooden box from its secret hiding place in the dresser. It contained a bottle of ink, an elderly quill pen, and a few sheets of paper. Granny was not entirely happy when faced with the world of letters. Her eyes protruded, her tongue stuck out, small beads of sweat formed on her forehead. But the pen scratched its way across the page to the accompaniment of the occasional quiet, drat, or of the thing. The letter read as follows, although this version lacks the candle wax, blots, crossings out, and damp patches of the original. To the Head Wizard, onsin University. Greetings. I... You are well I am sending to you one Escarina Smith. She hath the makings of Wizardry, but what might be further done with I, I know we not. She is a good worker and clan about her person. Also skilled in diverse arts of the house. I will send monies with her. May you live? Longy and Endy, your dies in peace, and a bitch. Esmeralda Weatherwax, Miss which. Granny held it up to the candlelight and considered it critically. It was a good letter. She had got Dias out of the almanac, which she read every night. It was always predicting Dias' plagues and Dias' ill fortune, Granny wasn't entirely sure what it meant, but it was a damn good word all the same. She sealed it with candle wax and put it on the dresser. She could leave it for the carrier to take out when she went into the village tomorrow to see about a new kettle. Next morning, Granny took some pains over her dress, selecting a black dress with a frog and bat motif, a big velvet cloak, or at least a cloak made of the sort of stuff velvet looks like after thirty years of heavy wear, and a pointed hat of office, which was crucified with hat bins. Their first call was to the stonemason to order a replacement hearthstone. Then they called on the smith. It was a long and stormy meeting. Esk wandered out into the orchard and climbed up to her old place in the apple tree, while from the house came her father's shouts, her mother's wails and long silent pauses, which meant that Granny Weatherwax was speaking softly in what Esk thought of as her just-so voice. The old woman had a flat, measured way of speaking sometimes. It was the kind of voice the creator had probably used. Whether there was magic in it or just headology, it ruled out any possibility of argument. It made clear that whatever it was talking about was exactly how things should be. The breeze shook the tree gently, Esk sat on a branch idly, swinging her legs. She thought about wizards. They didn't often come to Badass, but there were a fair number of stories about them. They were wise, she recalled, and usually very old, and did powerful, complex, and mysterious magics, and almost all of them had beards. They were also, without exception, men. She was on firmer ground with witches, because she'd trailed off with Granny to visit a couple of village witches further along the hills. And anyway, witches figured largely in ramtop folklore. Witches were cunning, she recalled, and usually very old, or at least they tried to look old, and they did slightly suspicious, homely and organic magics, and some of them had beards. They were also, without exception, women. There was some fundamental problem in all that which she couldn't quite resolve. Why wouldn't... Cern and Galta hurtled down the path and came to a pushing, shoving halt under the tree. They peered up at their sister with a mixture of fascination and scorn. Witches and wizards were objects of awe, but sisters weren't. Somehow, knowing your sister was learning to be a witch sort of devalued the whole profession. End of CD 2